So somebody had suggested I check out Ableton, being able to articulate ideas and thoughts that had been in my mind for a really long time. It became like this rabbit hole. And uh, yeah, I just never looked back. This is Brian Paris for Inside Berkeley. In this episode, I'm talking with songwriter and producer Erin Barra about her own brand of tech-infused creativity. An associate professor in the songwriting department at Berkeley, Barra focuses not only on demystifying studio technology for the artist, but using that tech as a creative arsenal. Rather than seeing the digital audio workstation, or DAW, or DAW, as a production-only space, she's broken down the wall between the artist and the engineer. She's also broken down gender barriers in a typically male-dominated area, and as such, uses her knowledge to teach and empower a new generation of female songwriter about this new creative frontier. Well, Erin, welcome to Inside Berkeley. Thank you for having me. Uh, So I, in researching for this conversation, I had the distinct pleasure of kind of diving through your YouTube channel and watching you dissect uh, your different tracks and, and songs and then actually watching the performances, which is so cool, and I encourage listeners to go and check that out. Um, but something that occurred to me, uh, it f- like watching you do these different elements and explain them, to me it almost felt like that's the Jackson Pollock part where it's like this kind of scattered paint everywhere. But what you're actually hearing feels more like this calming, like beautiful like Rothko, you know, like, <laughs> s- like simple and, and arranged just so... And nothing's out of place. There's nothing chaotic about it. Um, so how do you do that? What is the mind-body connection when you are creating, producing, and performing kind of all at once, like in real time? I mean, I think it all kind of just comes back to the song because that's where I think most of my creative process stems from. It's like, what am I writing about? Why am I writing it? And so if I just focus on what that initial intention was, then the decision-making process for all the other pieces is really easy for me. And I find the more that I do simultaneously, like the easier it becomes for me to sort of get to that like blackout phase Mm. where I don't, where I don't really, uh, I'm not super cognizant of what's happening. And I mean, people debated, debate like where inspiration comes from, but you know, I'm one of those people that subscribes to the idea that like we are just merely a vessel <laughs> and that it's like this this kind of subconscious that's floating around. And so the more I can sort of turn my mind off, the more I can kind of tune into that and be less present in a way. It's 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 a strange thought, but so it's very intentional from the from the creative process, but then once it gets to the performance part of it, it's it's very unintentional. Hmm. Yeah, and I want to come back to that kind of creative process piece of it. Um, but just for, for listeners who may not be aware, the the DAW, the Digital Audio Workstation, um, of which you teach at least three, I think, at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, could you explain a little bit about just for the uninitiated kind of what it means to, uh, to, to write uh, and produce at the same time and then also be able to use those, those same technical skills while you're performing? Right. So I don't think people, well, not everybody is sitting down at a, analog instrument like a piano or a guitar and writing their songs anymore. That's just, I mean, there's definitely a certain demographic of writers that are doing that, but I think that technology has, you know, influenced every crevice of this industry at this point, and, and writing is not an exception to that. So many, many writers are composing inside of a digital audio workstation and using those tools to uh, create rhythmic patterns, harmonic progressions, um, 
melodic motifs, you know, whatever it is. So um, I use Ableton to compose because it's a nonlinear DAW. Um, and that kind of mimics the way I think composers write because it's not a beginning, middle, end sort of a process. Uh, it's it's more of like a collage of ideas that you piece together over a period of time. And so, you know, I think that that kind of changes the songs that are created and things are a little bit more digital. Things are a little bit more electronic. So when it comes to the performance part, again, it's just like an extension of those tools. Right. It's because they're not siloed anymore. When you're performing, it's not like, okay, now I got to stick these two worlds together. It's like they were already one. Yeah. And you're just going with it. So who was Aaron Barra before the DAW? Were, was there ever an artist period where you yes. had to embrace that? Or, or are there permutations where you like that this new kind of melding with Ableton or the DAW existed in this former life in a different way and this is just an extension of it or was it a totally new world for you when you finally kind of had that moment uh there definitely was a pre-laptop Aaron Barra (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think I honestly touched a DAW well I did a little bit when I was a student it was digital performer was the DAW at the time (laughs) and when I was a student here my class was the first class to get laptops I actually was, my parents are moving and I was looking through the enrollment packet and it was like, starting 2002, we will be requiring students to have laptops. And I was really resistant while I was here. I was just like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And um, when I was applying for a job here, I looked at my transcript and I had gotten, I think, a D in MTech mm. 111 and uh, whatever the other tech course they made me take. It was kind of embarrassing because I was really anti-technology. And, uh, you know, it was the only reason I embraced it was just out of sheer necessity because I didn't have enough resources to really do what I needed to do. So it kind of started with Pro Tools, just editing inside of Pro Tools, like comping vocals and editing drum tracks. But that whole time I was playing with a band, Hmm. like five... There was five of us. It was four guys and me, um, other Berkeley students, and did that for a long time. And um, eventually, I, I really wanted to tour. We had done some regional touring, but I wanted to do more, and it just wasn't really financially feasible again to do that with so many people. So somebody had suggested I check out Ableton as uh, really just a way to lower my overhead, and um, it became like this rabbit hole for me of being able to articulate ideas and thoughts that had been in my mind for a really long time and like manifest all that compositional songwriting thoughts in a technical electronic way. So my intention was never to eliminate other musicians. That was kind of just the consequence of the action. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I just never looked back. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear that it was it actually went from a, a position of anti-technology to like resistance to it to now being a sort of product specialist for Ableton and and um, uniquely using that so much. What was is there a specific moment? And if not, that's fine. But is there one where you thought here it is? And what you said you you had all these ideas that all of a sudden you could achieve that you've had for a long time. Was there a moment where you realized that for the first time? And you're like, oh, I can do this, and it's like by using this plugin or something like that that just connects to who you are as a creator? There was a moment when I remembered feeling almost 
I don't even know what the word is for it, but I was in the studio with a co-producer who was, he was the engineer for my record, my second record. And um, we were, we were late in a mix and I had suggested that he put a delay throw on um, a lyric and had, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the, it was something like, and then it happens again, right, was the lyric. I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if there was a delay right? Because then the signal would then happen again. And wouldn't that be a really cool connection to, you know, uh, audio effect to a lyric? And he looked at me and he was like, where, where is that in the song? And I realized that he hadn't actually been listening to the lyrics <laughs> the whole time, which I think is really typical of people who are focusing more on frequency and sonics. You know, he wasn't tuned into the concepts behind the songs. So in that moment, I was like, you know what? I think I can approach this from a completely different way that's much more connected in terms of what the technology is doing with the connection to the songs themselves. And so once I finally did get the tools and master them, it was just a very powerful experience because I already knew what I wanted and how I was going to do it. Uh, I just didn't know how uh, how to actually execute it. Hmm. So it gave you the tools in that sense. So it was very like empowering in the sense that you could kind of can take full control of your artistic life in a way. Yes. But with, with such control comes great responsibility yeah. <laughs> right. as well. Right. And Stressed. then a lot of knowledge and a big learning curve, it seems like. It was. I mean, I was definitely implementing a lot of the tools well before I had any mastery of them. And if, if you go back and see videos of me from like 2011 performing, like it's... I can't, it's cringe, it makes me cringe. Um, but I was just sort of fearless. It's like, you know what? I don't know. I don't really know how this works, but I'm using it. <laughs> and then a lot of the learning actually kind of came a little bit later. Hmm. So you've already kind of mentioned in that example that you wanted to add delay to this one lyrical moment. And in some of the videos that I watched, you talked about the concept of prosody um, being something that, that sort of text painting that kind of echoes what's happening in the music. Uh, or the lyrics and the narrative. But you also use other terms like arranging your sonic palette, and, you know, so kind of a nod to visual art. And um, another one you talked about also building the scene in the digital audio digital audio workstation. Um, these are all these are multimedia references. Like to me, I was really struck by the fact that this is all very outside of music, that there's a visual art component, there's a sort of scene work feels like film to me and prosody kind of, you know, referencing literature uh, and even classical music with text painting. Um, so I, I wondered, did it feel like you were creating your own language or is this, are, are these terms that you've picked up sort of kind of in the world of, you know, creating in the, in the DAW? I'd say it's about half and half. Yeah. I mean, I think song songwriting is a very metaphor-centric or imagery-centric craft, you know? So when it came time to start teaching the tools to another person, I just naturally gravitated towards the metaphors because that's an easy way to understand something, you know? It's like, this is like this or this is this. So um, Sonic Palette is definitely something I came up with myself <laughs> in an attempt to teach songwriters how to properly choose the instruments to support their concepts. Um, but scene, for instance, is a term that is specific to a, an Ableton functionality, but 
I'm just using it in a different context, right? So there are scenes in Ableton, and it's supposed to mean that you trigger a certain um, certain clips or ideas, and that's like a verse or a chorus or a, to be more vague, they use the word scene. Um, and so it's yeah, it was just a natural metaphor. It just kind of wrote that one wrote itself. Cool. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear an example of that, and I believe you you have a cue for us for uh, for something that we can sort of see this at work. Yeah, so it's a song called All Because of You that um, largely was written by this uh, Swedish artist named Matilda. I rewrote her chorus with her, but um, she had most of the ideas already there. And she was a, she's an ex-Berkeley student. She's in Los Angeles now. Um, but the song was about um, some other student that she kind of had very strong feelings for, but never actually told him about it (laughs) so it was and you can you can feel this sort of uh, tension and build where they see each other all the time and they're collaborating all the time and she's got the secret that she doesn't tell him and um, actually the exact same thing happened to me when I was a student (laughs) with a co-writer and so um, we chose a really specific rhythmic pattern of a heartbeat that sort of accelerates from the verse into the pre-chorus and then gets really I mean it basically turns into house music at the chorus, like a really rhythmic four-on-the-floor kick drum pattern. So there's this really interesting tension and release play with the kick drum that kind of mimics the idea of her heart. Um, And then we also chose a Dorian mode, (laughs) which is, I guess, slightly theoretical, but uh, it's like a minor scale, but with a natural six, so it's got this brightness to it because the, the emotions were so ambiguous in a way where it was like anxiety and excitement and all these things so you know choosing that mode made a lot of sense and yeah pretty much every every choice kind of came back down to the why behind why she had written the song initially and we use that natural six a lot it's very it's a very tense melodic note that kind of supports the entire song so let's take a listen to all because of you by matilda co-written with aaron that example of kind of working with this student that also seems like it could shed some light on how you work with students in the songwriting department here and I'm interested in kind of hearing about how you bring all this stuff because I mean you're, you're referencing you know the songwriting craft and, and uh, adherence to metaphor and also adherence to musical craft and theory but also technology I mean that's a tall order and it's a lot to bring into one thing so uh, but it also speaks to kind of like the range that the songwriting department offers so what's what's that like how do you how do you blend that into a teaching style that students get excited about well this might seem sort of counterintuitive but I'm a little less about the information and a little bit more about the application. I mean, these are creative students, right? So a lot of times you stumble into something and then you look back and it starts to make sense. So I'd much rather them unlock a door creatively than technically. So, you know, I just keep them on a need to know basis in terms of how the technology works. 
say, okay, you're going to click here, you're going to do this, you're going to come up with something, you're going to record it, and you're just going to bludgeon forward. You know, and a lot of times they're they're sort of like, oh, I have no idea what's going on. And um, I like it that way. And then later on, you know, it they can piece it together and it starts to make more sense, especially after, you know, I'd say with the first level Ableton course, it doesn't really start making a ton of sense to them until maybe week 10 of the semester. <laughs> and then the beginning part, they're just they're just being creative and kind of going with it. Um, but then it all starts to click and it's it's a really powerful thing for them. So, you know, and I'm lucky to be here because there's the supplemental core curriculum of harmony, ear training, all that stuff that kind of comes with it. So I just give them the benefit of the doubt that they're really great musicians and that they're very creative. And I just give them a hammer and an axe and say, let's make something with this. And they they really take care of the rest. It's it's not as complex as one might imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, it sounds like it mimics kind of your own process and the way you come to like you you mentioned seeing you know, videos of yourself performing earlier, you kind of just powered forward and like, let's let's just use this technology because it, I can sense that it has some application for what I'm doing, even if you don't fully understand it, which is a very artistic sensibility, right? It's it's kind of crossing boundaries on an, on an intuitive scale rather than saying, you know, kind of making a logical decision. So I think that's really interesting. That's the way it's always happened with technology. You know, even outboard gear in the 80s, you know, it's like, oh, well, well we've got this crazy compressor. So let's let's peak. You know, let's do the opposite. I don't, I don't really know how this works, but this could be cool. You know, so I think that's always how, like, artists have been pushing technology in ways that it wasn't necessarily cultivated for. Right, or it was seen as, like, they were breaking it or, or using yeah. it improperly or something like that. And then it becomes industry standard from that. Yes. Or people are building, you know, the technology to that after the fact. But if you tell them how to use it, then they never are going to come up with that, so... Yeah. Just don't tell them. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> that's good teaching advice. Don't tell them how anything works. Yeah. <laughs> Just let them bash their head against it until it I makes sense. I get a lot of pushback at the college because of the way that I teach. But I just, I subscribe to this. You know, I, I believe it. That's great. Um, something else that is really remarkable of what you've been doing too. And you, I, I believe that you're the only female product specialist for Ableton Live. Is that is that accurate? or? So they have, I think there's three certified trainers now. There was a time <laughs> when I was um, the only female product specialist that was working for them at a at a given time. But you know, I don't I don't know. I'm probably still the only person that freelances for them that's a female right hmm. now. Um, but I don't I don't know that for certain. And so I know that that's important for you in terms of demystifying the studio, which is you know the often a male dominated field, and sort of making space. So not just creating in the in the digital audio workstation and teaching people to do that, but also making it a more like comfortable atmosphere, empowering atmosphere for women. Um, could you speak a little bit to that? Sure. I mean, I think Ableton does really pivotal work with this kind of gender equity concept as well. But I think, uh, you know, women don't want to be in places they don't feel comfortable being and studio situations often have energies that are not conducive to females being a part of it, whether it's, you know, in a home studio or uh, like a big studio, if that's even a thing anymore. Um, so, 
you know, I just try to do my due diligence to make it seem again just sort of natural and easy and play give it's really it's really role support because if you see another person doing it then you don't think that you're not supposed to be doing it and there's a preconceived narrative that women don't belong in these spaces whether it's coding or silicon valley or a, a music studio so just by kind of being myself i think that it's really powerful to see women seeing other women do these things and you know 10 years from now i imagine we'll be in a different different place yeah yeah it's really cool to kind of see how you've reclaimed that space for yourself and it, it you know again it's sort of an art forward piece you know that this is something that just fit your brain as a songwriter um and that allowed you to do a lot more so i think that's really cool so kind of to take us out i'm interested you know, what is creativity to you? I mean, you can kind of translate that in, in a lot of ways. I mean, coming from someone who was anti-technology and is now at the forefront, I think, you know, of, of a new way of doing something, of taking full control of the artistic product and, and still being so in tune with all the layers that that's there. You're not losing anything in the technical process. You're using that as a creative tool. So I'm just wondering what drives that? I mean, what is it that inspires you, you know, Maybe it used to drive you to a pen and paper, but now it's to a laptop or to rolly blocks or something, hmm. you know, new and edgy. That's a good question. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> large one as yeah. well. Um, I think that there's different types of art, right? Um, and some is for having a really good time, right? So some music is composed kind of with the fun, Right. And, and sometimes I need to do that because it can't always be so serious. Um, so like I'm writing a song right now for my son that's about to be born. Um, and it's uh, it's just I just needed it to be fun. Right. Um, and then other times I really have something to say. And for me, art is the, like that intersection of having something to say and choosing the right tools to communicate those ideas. So, you know, if, if there's, if that's lacking in some way, then I'm usually not drawn to that sort of um, art or creativity. So for me, it's, it's things that have connections and meaning. And that's pretty much, you know, the basis of prosody, which is a word that, you know, I think we kind of took and appropriated in our own way inside of the songwriting department. But something that I really actually truly do subscribe to this idea of connections. You know, however, if that's in a movie, uh, a script or a piece of art or a song, you know, I just look for those deep connections. That's awesome. That's great. I look forward to whatever comes next and, and seeing all that stuff just continue to mix in in, in really innovative ways. So, Aaron, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. This episode is recorded by Tony Brown in partnership with The Burn and edited by Darcy Davis. I'm Brian Paris, and this is Inside Berkeley. <laughs>